so he told me don't rush, but uh, I kind of forgot exactly. What time was that business meeting supposed to begin at 10? Okay, so I, that kind of gives me an idea on what I want to do. I was in, uh, I've, never, I've never done this even at my own church a couple weeks ago. I got back from Africa on a Tuesday night. I did Wednesday at home and got on the airplane and went directly to Houston to start a meeting on Thursday afternoon. And I did Thursday afternoon and then Friday night. And that pastor said, I've been trying to get you for two years. And it's fallen through. He says, take no prisoners. He said, take no prisoners. He says, uh, uh, leave nothing behind. And I preached an hour and 40 minutes. He probably regretted even saying it. No, but uh, I didn't even realize it. I thought it was only about 40 minutes. So that kind of gives me an idea. Even though you get extra time, I don't never want to abuse it because I understand the old adage, you can only receive as much as your bottom can endure. And these are pretty good padded pews, so that does buy some time. Uh, yesterday, I started on some things uh, dealing with the book of Joshua. So if you got your Bible with you, which I know most of you do in one fashion, form, or another. Uh, it's not always the pages that we have now. It can be electronically. I want to thank Pastor Darrell Merrill Jr. and this church for such a great uh, job in hosting this meeting and all of the fellowship leaders. Uh, let's give this church and this pastor name a great hand for this. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's a lot of things, a lot of work, and... People like Pastor Mosier who, uh, you know, make sure the restoration is right. And, and uh, you, know what I love, you know what I love most about this region is their heart for missions. That's what I love most about it. I am convinced this is the strongest region when it comes to missions than any of the six regions. It's been proven to be a fact and uh, not because we're all a part of this region. I just believe it is. I don't know when that, that I can remember when things started moving forward that there wasn't something that missionaries or missionaries organizations didn't walk away from or didn't walk away without getting something. And uh, that says a lot. Uh, last night we had a great meeting out there at the round table. Uh, one of the missionaries says that he's been more encouraged in the last year being a part of this organization than he did nine years in a previous denomination. And so that's a great testimony in what goes on. So uh, I want to thank all the leadership of this um, of this region, and for their hearts for missions, all right? Let's go to uh, chapter 5 of Joshua. Chapter 5 of Joshua. This is getting ready. To, we're going to be dealing with crossing over. Now, God is wanting us to cross over. There's a place he has for us. It's the promised land. And uh, I believe it's areas that we haven't been before. When we say we haven't been before, we may have gone to a location but just because we've gone to a location doesn't mean that we have been there to fulfill the plan of God while we're there. I started going, I started going overseas as far as a commission assignment by God in 1994, January of 94, when we started to work in Kenya. And, uh, but what I'm doing right now, 19 years later, I've been in that land, but what I'm doing now is more under the mandate of God than I ever have in my life. So just because I've been there doesn't mean that I have, that I have walked into the direct promise. I have learned about it. I have established some things. But right now, we are walking in a place. And, and how I know it's, it's really where we need to be because it's, we're leaving the place of toil and getting into what we call milk and honey. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about toil uh, today, and, uh, and we're going to see where we're at on that, okay? Here we go. Chapter 5, we're going to read some of the same verses, so let's just read them as if we didn't read them yesterday. And uh, let's just start at verse 2. And at the time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males. Even all the men of war died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. 
Now all the people that came out were circumcised, came out of Egypt when they left, but all, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord swore that he would not, that he would not show them the land which the Lord swore unto their fathers, and he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. And their children, whom he did raise up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. And this is where I begin to uh, bring up the questions, why were not they circumcised? Did the law of God change just because they were in the wilderness versus they were in Egypt? So when they were in bondage, watch this, when they were in bondage, Barely having enough for anything, barely having enough straw for the brick and slime for mortar, they didn't have enough of anything. That's why we looked at Moses' life as you know it. Moses' life is broke down into really three categories of 40s, right? He, uh, his first 40 years, he was in the, he was in the land of Egypt. Uh, he was in the Pharaoh's palace. He thought he was a somebody. The next 40 years, on the backside of the desert, he realized he was nobody. In his last 40, he knew with God all things were possible. Well, in the first 40 years of God's people, they knew that they were in a land of not enough, of anything. Then when God brought them out, they moved into a land of just enough. There was just enough, there was just enough of this and just enough of that, and, and nothing ran out. I mean, the provision, as I mentioned yesterday... The provision was daily. It was daily provision. And sometimes we get so tied to this, God give us this day our daily bread, and we get so adjusted, which that is not the prayer of faith. That's just a pattern on how to pray. And so God's not so much concerned about just daily bread. Uh, you know, so much doctrine about prosperity and different things as such. Uh, I... There's no way I could not preach a prosperity message because I believe it's God. You can see what God did to Abraham, what God did to Solomon. Uh, prosperity is not a problem. It's the abuse and the manipulation that comes from that gospel. But when Jesus died, he redeemed us from the curse of the law, which was, which was threefold. From poverty, sickness, and spiritual death, or the second death, or death unto hell. So these three folds we were redeemed from. And I've made my mind up. I'm not preaching poverty to a people that I'm going to receive offerings from. Now that's counterproductive. Amen? You, you, just can't, you just can't do that. You can't get up and badmouth prosperity and say now it's time to receive an offering and complain why no one's given. You just can't do that. So uh, they were in a land of not enough. Then they went to a land of just enough. But it was God's full intention to bring his people to a land of more than enough. And when I look at leaders in some churches and missionaries, most of us stay in a land of just enough. We can't get enough to really do anything. If we do this, we can't do that. If we do this, we can't go there because we just have just enough. How many is at a place to where just enough is not getting you where you want to be? Matter of fact, just enough is making your heart sick because the Bible says hope is, that is deferred or postponed makes the heart sick. And I'm wondering why we have so many sickly hearted people in the kingdom of God, especially in the realm of leadership, is because hope that is is deferred or postponed is making the heart sick and it's postponed because we don't have enough to do anything. So you have to understand that God doesn't want us just to have just enough. He wants us to have more than enough. Well, the Bible says, my gosh, to supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Well, how rich is his glory? See, he didn't say he'll supply your need according to your ability. He said he'll supply your need according to. Now, he's going to make it equal to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Well, how rich is glory? I went to buy Angel, my wife. When I mention Angel, I'm not angels. <laughs> but I was talking to my wife, and I wasn't talking to her, but I wanted to get her. She's talked about having a pearl necklace. She wanted a pearl necklace, so I thought, I thought I'll just get her one. And so I went into the jewelry store, and I saw a pretty one. You know, it's about, that's a pretty good size. I thought, man, that's just so pretty. Uh, how much is that? They told me, I said, uh, what about that smaller one? 
Because they're not giving them away. And I'm thinking, uh, that pearl is bigger than my pocket. Not my desire, my pocket. I desired to get that to her. We first got married. She had a diamond ring, but she had to have a magnifying glass to see it. Now you can almost see it. And she was looking at some the other day. I said, one day, baby, don't worry about it, one day. Because <laughs> we desire. Now, if you had it, would you do it? But see, when people get so religious about my God supply your needs according to... See, you're basing your supply off how you see your need. God wants to meet your need based upon His riches and glory. When you're looking at one gate made out of one pearl, and I've struggled over one pearl, that's not one gate. That wouldn't even make the hinge to the gate. It wasn't many pearls. It was one pearl, one gate made out of one pearl. Well, I wonder how much that pearl cost. Riches and glory. See, God's got ways, but we have confined it to our way of thinking. So we stay in the land of just enough. Just enough. Hope is postponed. Heart has become sick. And now we live on one of these days, but we really don't know what one of these days looks like because when we're around people, we got to talk like one of those days is almost here, but when we get by ourselves, we can't even see what one of those days look like. Amen? In 40 years, they've done lost track of what one of these days looked like. And they got so adjusted. So let me go back to this. They were in bondage for 430 years as a people, the time they came out. God prophesied to Abraham in chapter 12, 13, 14, when, they, when we're forming the blood covenant pieces. And he says, be my people be in bondage 400 years. Now we know when they came out, it's 430 years. So once they came out of that place, when they were in there, it's amazing. They kept the law of God. That's what gets me. When they were in bondage, they kept the law of God. They circumcised on the eighth day. They did things that were right. They honored what was honorable. As soon as they came out of bondage and they started seeing the miracle provision and got so used to God providing the miracle provision, it's almost like they quit honoring the covenant of God. And I wonder where people quit honoring the covenant that got them where they're at. And so what happens here is, those who came out, they were all, all of them were circumcised. But those who were born while they were in the midst of the wilderness, them they did not circumcise. Why? I believe they lost track. People got so adjusted that look at this. And I mentioned this yesterday. Look at this. Uh, we're not circumcising and we're not doing this and that manna is still on the ground every day. So apparently, God is not so much concerned about the covenant as we think He is because provision is here. Look, my pants grew out another two inches because I grew two inches. I, my feet, my shoes don't wear out. So, and now we see people basing prosperity up on provision. Well, that person must be living right because God's still providing. That doesn't mean anything. God's a good God. But we're not looking just for get-by wilderness provision. Because these people were a stiff-necked people. They were a wilderness-minded people. Do you realize manna wasn't so much... Manna wasn't so much a miracle because God's people were obedient. Manna was the result because they were disobedient. God had more in store than that. Manna wasn't God's best for them. The milk and honey was God's best for them. And if you're just looking for manna, you're living way under God's best for your life, my brother and sister. I can't get by just on... Man shall not live by... You can't just live by man alone. And most people doing ministry, all they're living by is man alone. There's, it takes more than just manna. Matter of fact, they didn't even know what manna was. What, what does manna mean? What is this? That's the manna. Okay, here we go. But now we come to the place to where things has got to change. 
Uh, why do we need to circumcise? Those men that lined up, man, they were sweating. Uh, why is this necessary? Because, my people, God is not just interested in your daily bread. He's interested in fighting your battles. He wants the world to know that he is God and there's no other. And that he is, he is more capable of just providing daily provision. He's more capable of any of that. And, I, and he wants people to know his true power made available in you. So therefore, we're going to go back to the hill of foreskins here. Because we are going to get into the covenant of God because God has to honor his covenant. You realize God, remember what God said in the wilderness? I'm done with them. Have you ever asked yourself, well, God said he's going to bring them out. How could God say I'm done with them? Well, they're not operating their side of the covenant. So there is an obligation there that wasn't, that wasn't applicable anymore. He, God wasn't obligated anymore in that area. Have you ever thought of that? See, when you keep your side... God will always keep his side. God's always got a plan to keep his side to begin with. But to get the fullness of it, you still got a responsibility on your end. They did not keep their end of the deal. And you had a generation die in the wilderness. But now they're getting ready to go into a place called Jericho. Jericho. Jericho is a place of impossibilities. Jericho represents a place of impossibilities and there's no way to get to the fullness of your promised land until you learn how to get through places of impossibilities. Most people die at the place of impossibilities. This is impossible. Folks, there's nothing God's ever called me to do was possible. If he's called you to do something that's possible for you to do it, I would sit back and re-examine if it's really God. Because if you can get the credit for it, then then you've got to decide, is this really me doing it or is it God doing it? In 1996, when I was in Africa, uh, Dr. Cornwall can tell a story I can tell. Well, it may not be as good. But in 1996, when I was in Africa, uh, we were planting a new church in a place called Voy. And this was taking every dime I had. I mean, at that point in time, I was still doing bivocational things. And uh, worked hard in construction, and it was taking everything I had to get there and get this going. I was going to be gone eight, nine weeks on this trip to get this established, this new work going. And, and uh, when everything was going on there, I don't want to go into that story because it's a, it's, I think I shared it a couple years ago, but it's just a long story on what really transpired. And so when I came back from that trip, God dealt, me, dealt with me while I was there. I want you to stop everything you're doing in the secular realm, and I want you to follow me, and I don't want you to be disobedient in this area again. Because he showed me while I was there, I was disobedient because I was so concerned about how my needs were going to get met. And, uh, and so when I got back, I met with Dad, and, and uh, no one knew exactly. I mean, no one knew I was going to start preaching full-time as far as traveling. And, and I got back the first week of May, and, uh, man, I didn't have any meetings in May and no income. None in June. With, there's no income. July. And so uh, Pastor Roth at the time was the VP over this region, I think, about 16 years. And, and so he said, uh, I'll tell you what, son. You write a letter about what you're going to do. I'll write a letter to endorse you out of this region. And we sent them to 98 people. I don't know why we didn't bump it up to 100. And it was 98 people. And I did a follow-up call on 98 letters. Out of 98 letters, I had two responses. One response was, thank you for your letter. And the other one was, I'm sorry, not at this time. Out of 98. Two responses. Now, that's not good at any level. I mean, you want to talk about dropping back 10 and punting right there. That's what you do. And so I'm thinking, so I got before God and I said, you know, I'm not writing another letter. This is it. I am not going to put myself in a position for me to get out in the middle of this and me take my ability or take dad's influence or whatever, and I'm not going to get out here and something starts happening, turbulence start, begins to take place, and I'm sitting there thinking, did I put myself here? Did God put me here? 
And I am not going to put myself in this position to get here anymore. I'm not going to. I'll sit at home before I do this. And for the first couple years, I sat more at home than I did out. But it got to the place to where I was looking for days to get off. In, 90, in, two, in 05, before I came to the church in 2006, I think I added up in my log. I kept a log of everything. I think I held right at 320 services that year and averaged about seven nights a month at home. And I did it without writing one letter, without figuring out a way to raise funds or whatever. And, and the people that travel with me, I tell them, write a letter, let people sow into your, your ministry. I just set a precedence inside of me that I wasn't going to do it. Is because I wanted to be, I wanted to know that if I got to a situation, God was going to bring me out. If I ran up against a Jericho, I had to know that that Jericho was coming down and that it was God that put me there and not me. There's too many men appointing men to do something without God endorsing it by His own hand. So I wasn't going to do it. So here we go. We're at a Jericho, we're at a place of impossibilities. Jericho was shut up. No one was coming in and no one was going out. Why? Because they feared of what was taking place. Now they still had their part, but God was going to do his part. What were they going to have to do? All they had to do would be disobedient. There's two things that I see here that you may not be able to get to the second one because it's more a pastoral thing than it is, a, than it is just a conference thing was. The part that they walked around and they were completely quiet. Number one, the reason why circumcision was so important is because God said, now my people are back in my covenant. Now, I'm not obligated just for necessities. I'm obligated to fight their battle. I'm obligated to fight their battle. As long as they walk before me, and I'm going to show you, even though you're in covenant, you still have to walk according to God's word. Because after the wall came down to jump ahead, he said everything in this place goes to the treasury of God. It goes to God's treasury. Everything else, everything dies. The animals, the people, but all of the things that are in there, good, silver, gold, clothing, it all goes to me. And when we see the word that Achan Aiden, Aiken took of the forbidden or he took of the accursed thing. The accursed wasn't that he took something that was cursed. What it was, that, was belong, that belonged to God. And so when he hid that and they went into Ai right after that and uh, they were so excited. Remember they sent out 12 spies and 10 of them came back. Come jumping around here because I need to get to a certain place. They sent out 12 spies early from Kadesh Barnea and uh, 10 of them came back and said, uh, you know everything that... Uh, God says it's true, except there's giants in the land that we're not able to go in. And the Bible said those ten people with those ten reports, it totally did something to the hearts of the people. It discouraged them so bad that they got into the place of defeat. And that, and that uh, I believe those ten people will be held accountable for keeping the other ones out because of that evil report. Notice, after God did a miracle in Jericho, when they got to Ai, when they went and scouted at Ai, they came back and said, we got too many people, just leave the rest of the people back, let's just take a few people in there, we'll take care of it. Except when they went in there, they got defeated. Why were they defeated? Is because God said, when I fight your battle, there are certain things you've got to do, and that is what I want the first fruits to come off at. And that accursed thing was, and everything in there was dealing with first fruits that they belong to me. You cannot take what's mine and use it for yourself. And that's what he was talking about. So just because you're in covenant, you still have a responsibility with the tithe, with the first fruits, and everything else that goes with it. That's just all part of it. All right. Well, that's just a part I may not get to, but I'll get to it. All right. Here we go. Verse 1, chapter 6. And Jericho was straightly shut up because the children of Israel, none came in, none went out. The Lord said unto Joshua, See, I've given you, I've given thy, into thy hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men thereof, and you shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go around about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And then we know on the seventh day they did it seven times. Verse 5, And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the walls of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend 
upon shall descend up every man straight before him. And everyone was dealt with except for Rahab and her family. Everybody else lost it. Now let's jump over. Go with me to 2 Kings. Because I want to deal with more in this, in this time we have together. I want to deal more with the, uh, with the Gilgal experience. Because I think this is where we need to get to. There has to come to a place where once they went to this hill of foreskins, they got back in this covenant, there was a cutting away. There was a cutting away. Now, when I'm not going to talk about natural circumcision, that makes me cringe. I don't want that more. Uh, I want to talk about the circumcision of the heart. Where are we at with our heart? Amen? What is it in our life that we need to have a Gilgal experience? And I felt this morning when we had a cross experience of the day, that can we set up a place of Gilgal? Maybe here today, where we say the reproach is rolled off of me. The thing that's hindered me, the thing that's kept me out, the thing that's kept me back, the thing that's kept me away from the fullness of God's ability in my life, I want it rolled off of me today. I want it out of my life today. I want this to transpire. I don't want nothing else on me that's not God. I want to walk out of this place today with my heart right, my walk right, my talk right, and everything else is right. Folks, I've been accused for being too straight. I've been accused for being too clean. I've had people tell me, you're just too clean. And uh, I, I don't know what too clean is. I've just made a decision... Even though I'm not a perfect man, it doesn't matter. If something violates my conscience, I deal with it right then. It doesn't matter what it is. I deal with it right away. It doesn't matter if it's my own kids, if it's my wife or my mother-in-law. I tell this in store. Those who are in the church, they hear it. I won't won't deviate from it. One morning, uh, I've had to do it several times. It seemed like you'd learn after the first couple times. But there's been more than once that I left my house. My mother-in-law lives with us. And you all... You all say, well, I'll pray for you. It ain't all that bad. She, she's in the basement. Uh, a nice basement. <laughs> a nice basement. <laughs> it sounded better the other way, didn't it? But it's nice. But one morning, I dealt with some things on the phone before I was ready to go. Uh, and the phone calls came in pretty early. By the time I left the house, I was quite frustrated. Now, you don't have to be a pastor to get frustrated in ministry. You just got to wake up. And you have the opportunity right before you. Amen? And besides that, if you don't get a phone call, I don't always wake up feeling born again every morning. I don't wake up shouting and seeing visions every day. I don't do that. Seven days a week. Maybe five. No. Uh, But I don't wake up that way. Sometimes, you you know, you don't want to get out of bed. Last thing you want to do. Get up, alarm goes off, I know I need to pray. I want to pray. I want to go back to bed. So you don't always wake up feeling spiritual. Maybe you do, but I don't. And so, but that morning I had some issues I dealt with. And I was very sharp with her that morning, and she's there to help us with our kids. I mean, she helps take she helps takes care of things. She works full time for us pretty much, and and uh, she makes sure that that things are right. And and Angel goes to the office. I go to the office, and uh, you know, her mom's been single well, as long as I've known my wife, and I don't know when uh, her and Angel's dad uh, parted ways, but uh, but she's lived with us for years. And so uh, Angel wants to help take care of her mother. But that morning, I was very sharp. And as soon as I got in the car, my heart just, I mean, it got me. Now, I could justify it and say, well, it's my house. I'm the man. I have the right to do it. But I'm more concerned about keeping myself in the position for the anointing of God and the touch of God than I am anything out there. Because my provision comes from that covenant And I'm not going to allow anything to come in my way. Whatever happens, I'm going to make sure that any reproach or anything else that would keep me me away from God, it's going to to be cut away. It's going to be cut away. So I called her. I said, Joe. She said, yes, Ken. I said, I was wrong today. 
I was wrong. I sinned. And it doesn't matter if you're my mother-in-law or not. I sinned. And I'm not going to allow any pride to get in the way to keep God at arm length. There's things I need him to do today. I just dealt with issues this morning. I've got to have him work on my behalf. I'm not good enough to do this. He has got to be the one. I, if I walk away, if I don't call you and say sorry, I knew in my heart, I can shout all I want to shout, but that wall may not come down. That's what Gilgal was about, is to get them to the place where they could shout with power. We got a lot of shouting, but it's not bringing anything down. I've heard, we've heard enough shouting that we shouldn't have to hear much more shouting, but it's not produced anything on a regular basis. And I, and I, and I lived that way. Last year, year four last, it might have been just early last year, there was, a, there was a, almost a fight between two mushers. I realize some of you guys never have any of those issues. But I mean, it was tense. It was tense. It was two leaders, an usher, another leader. And, and so uh, I'm coming back to my office, and the father and the son and somebody else standing there like they were at the changing of the guard. And I'm leaving the altar of God, feeling good about things. And the first thing I come to is this situation. You know, you can get out of the Spirit real quick doing that. Because you can be, you come right out of the presence of God, you can be just as vulnerable as you, you are anywhere else. And they got in there, and I'm thinking, I knew the carnality and one of the ones, the potential of their carnality. And my Bible, this Bible was laying there. Let me get me a mark. And they said something, I said, I've had enough of this. I said, your problem is you need to grow up. This is, this is foolish. And I just laid the ultimatum out and went to Pizza Hut. I had all the right in the world to deal with that situation. How I dealt with it was wrong. Well, you're the pastor. I don't care. There's ways to do it to get results. Man, my heart was so tore up over this. I told Angel, I said, I, uh, I need to go to the car in a minute. I need to go pray. And I'm praying in the Holy Ghost all the way out to the van. So I picked the phone up and I called his cell phone. I said, uh, this is Pastor. I'm not calling you to say I'm sorry for dealing with the issue. And by the way, we haven't had a problem with that issue again. I'm sorry for how I dealt with that issue. Before I called him, I was so smitten. I said this out loud in the car. Ken Harbaum, you're a born-again man. Because the life of God was so sensitive in me that the Holy Ghost is a helper. That's why he's there to do is help you. And I said, you're a born-again man. That's why you feel this way. I could put it off on, well, God's grace is sufficient. Yeah, and I'm going to need it here in a few minutes, so I better get repentant. Shall I continue a sin just because grace may abound? God forbid. I said, I apologize for how I handled this. I've repented before God, and I'll repent before you. I don't ever expect this to ever happen again in this church, you understand? But I apologize how I did that. There's something supernatural happened to me. Something rolled off of me. See, Egypt became a reproach to God's people. They got so used to it. That's why in the wilderness, the covenant things became unimportant to them. He says, you've got to get back to the important things. And there better be a cutting away right here. This better be rolled off of you today. Because I'm planning on fighting your battles tomorrow. You see who it is? And from that point on, there was a supernatural provision and empowerment that God placed upon his people. See, we're wanting Jericho's to come down. But the prerequisite is what they did at Gilgal. That's the way it is. 
I was preaching a meeting in Indiana, and I was the youngest speaker there. This was years ago. I mean, I was maybe in my early 30s. And uh, they were talking about God cutting things off people, purging people. Man, they had that place a bloody mess. They let one preacher get up, and he says, well, I'll tell you what, God knows how deep to cut without killing you. I mean, they had as if God had a sword in his hand cutting things. I mean, I mean I, all, all, I, all I could see was a bloody sword, man, and blood everywhere. And, uh, and all of a sudden, they said, uh, God knows how to keep you humble. God had God just cut things so deep on you to where you think you're dying. I'm thinking, oh, gosh. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, uh, is that how I am, son? I said, no, Father, that's not you. He said, Why don't, are you going to help me in this? I said, no, Father, I'm not saying a word. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. That is the actual truth. I said, no, I'm not saying anything. It got quiet in my heart. He says, is that the way I am? I said, no. Are you going to stand for me? I said, I'm the youngest one in here. No. I'm going to preach the word. It got cold in my heart. I got up there and I said, um, you know, we, we've, been, we've done a lot of cutting away here today. But I said, we've made all this responsibility on God. If God wants it off, he's going to cut it away. It's amazing God didn't come down and take one knife. He didn't circumcise one person. They did it themselves. If God wants this out of my life, he'll come and take it out. Well, if God wants us circumcised, you come on down here. Joshua said, you want it done? You do it. I'm not fighting with them. You take the knife. You tell them to lay down. You tell them to lay still. I'm not doing it. If you want them circumcised, you do it. You want them back in covenant, you do it. But it seems like God always wants to use a man. God knows how to pick fights. He'll, get you, man, man, he'll have you do things. People get upset at you. But that Jericho is a whole lot more rewarding. They forget about it when the walls fall down. It's amazing. People forget about the battles when the walls fall. And uh, so I said, uh, you know, all, we, all I've heard here is how God can cut you so deep and some of you feel like you're barely alive. I said, uh, is it God's responsibility or is it your responsibility? The Bible says if your right hand offends you, you cut it off. If your right eye offend thee, you pluck it out. I said, I realize that in John 15, it says, you know, whom he loveth, he purges or he prunes. I said, how does he do that? The Holy Spirit inside of you says, Ken, it's time for you to cut that out of your life. And he'll love you and he'll help you till you have that cutting away in your heart until you get it done. He may take a long time to somebody. The reason why he wants it out, just not so he can say God's so strict. No, it's because he knows Jericho is right before you. And he's more concerned about how he can show up big in your life than he is anything else. And we're whining about, well, I just don't know if I want to get rid of this. No, we're, we're ranging on the minor here. God's seeing the big picture. And so whatever you do, don't let anything stay in your heart. You make sure you cut that thing away. You get it out of there. You do it. You allow the Spirit of God inside of you to cut that thing out of your heart. You make a decision. You're going to live right. You're going to live clean. You're going to live holy before God. Holiness is, man, I, I believe it is a gospel that we have lost in the Spirit-filled Pentecostal movement. Because it brought so much bondage before. But folks, holiness is of the heart, and I want it. I want to be right. Here we go, 2 Kings chapter 2. I'm going to, we're going to find this word again. And it came to pass, verse 1, it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah from heaven and by a whirlwind. Elijah went with Elisha. Where? From, from, Gilgal. Now, this whole chapter, I, you can look at it on how to get to the double portion. There's been more sermons preached on double portions than you can shake a stick at, so to speak. I've heard sermons preached on the double portion. 
I was in one church, this guy preached a double portion, and I mean he was spitting and sweating and wiping and jumping, and, and I mean people are saying, yeah, double portion. And he said, now who wants this? When he said who wants this, I'm thinking, want what? Because with all of the emotion, I, I, I'm thinking he didn't explain anything about what this was except you can have double. Folks, it takes more than just hearing an anointed message to get double. It takes more than laying hands on you to get double. The reason why he said double is because he looked at his man of God so greatly that he says, it would take double. I would have to be twice the man he is to even do what he did. That's where it came from. It wasn't, oh, I want more. I want double anointing. No, he's saying, it would t- I would have to be twice the man I am to accomplish what my, what my man of God did. That was his heart. And he says, this whole journey to the double portion, notice the first thing that happened, they left a place called Gilgal. He didn't take them to Gilgal. They left Gilgal. They left the place. If you want, the first thing that you've got to do to get to this double portion, you have got to get to the place to where I'm leaving the reproach behind. The reproach is staying behind. The second thing they did here, watch it. He, Elijah said unto Elisha, Terry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Now, now, what does Bethel represent? I'll let you help me preach. What does Bethel represent? The house of God, or the place where God speaks. Notice, as soon as they had the Gilgal experience in chapter, in chapter 5, God said, now, this is what you're going to do. You're going to walk, and you're going to shout, and I'm going to do the rest. As soon as they left Gilgal, they went to Bethel, a place where they can hear God. Folks, we're not going to hear God the way we need to until you realize, I'm going to deal with Gilgal. There are some things that's going to be cutting away. There are some reproaches going to get off my life. Or we can talk Bethel all we want. But maybe we're not going to get the results from Bethel. I goes, this story goes back to a teenager. I'll never forget it. Pastor Rotho was preaching a series. He called it, Go Back to Bethel. You remember when Jacob got in that mess? When they defended their sister? And they went and killed all the men. And Jacob didn't know what else to do. And he finally said, uh, let's go back to Bethel. Why? I have got to hear from God. And I was living, and my life was just, I felt like I had blown it every which way there was. I mean, I woke up with this heaviness on me. I'll never forget it. That Sunday morning, I got to church, and it was like I'm in a daze. And Dad began to preach on more of that message. I'm just a teenager. I mean, maybe 17, 18 years old. Go back to Bethel. Well, there was a place at that altar two years before that God dealt with me so strong that did something to my life. And when he said that, I got out of my seat and I went to that same location And I cried out. I said, God, you spoke to me two years ago right here. You've got to speak to me again. That place of Bethel I created that day changed my life. See, people want a Bethel experience, but they want to keep the same reproach at the same time. How are you going to minister to people if you don't get out of Gilgal? How are you going to go forward if you don't get out of it? You've got to get out of Gilgal. You've got to get to Bethel. You've got to get to the place where God can speak to you, man. You've got to get direction. And Elijah said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went on. And the sons of the prophet came and said, You know, the Lord's going to take away your master, so forth. Verse 4, Elijah said unto him, Tarry here. For God has sent me to Jericho. This is a perfect, this is another way to look at Joshua 5 and 6 and 7, actually. This, this kind of lays it out because I see the pattern for it. God has sent me to Jericho. We've left Gilgal. We've heard from God. Now, we're going to watch the impossibilities begin to take place. 
And then when they got to Jericho, he said, Terry, here, for God has sent me to Jordan. You know what Jordan represents? A place of miracles. The place of supernatural events. And they crossed over the Jordan. And there he says, what do you want? Not at the beginning. He didn't ask him that at Gilgal. He asked him that afterwards. What do you want? I want a double portion. I know you're getting ready to go. The sons of the prophets know you're getting ready to die. The sons of the prophets that don't even walk with you know that you're, don't you know your master's going to take, your Lord's going to take away your master? They know it, I know it. And if I'm going to carry this on, I need to be twice the man you are. Give me a double portion. You've asked a hard thing. But if you see me when I go, you'll have it. See, all of this, we all focus upon this double, but you got to go back to this Gilgal thing, man. If you, don't get, if, if you don't begin there, you don't get to the other side. You don't get there. You know what the saying is, you can't get there from here? Well, you can't get there but from here. You have to get out. You have to get from here. Most people, this is where they live. This is their address. On this side of Gilgal, all the reproach, all the sorrow. Now, he didn't say, if you see me physically going up. It had nothing to do with a physical thing. But what he's saying is, if, out of, I believe it's about 20 years he followed him in this deal. And that's what he was saying was, after all of this is over, if we can still see eye to eye together, and we're still in agreement, you can have it. Why does the enemy try to get people at odds with one another? Under studies with their pastor, staff with their man of God, people that say, you're my pastor, but, I don't, but they're not going to act like it. But yet they want the anointing, they want the giftings that come from you. I'm sure Elijah wasn't an easy man to follow. But he says, when it's all done, if you can stand here with your heart saying that we still see each other, Eye to eye. You know, we use this terminology now. I just don't see eye to eye with that brother. Well, that's all right if he's just a distant brother. But you can't do that in this situation. He said, if we still see eye to eye when this is done, you'll have what you desire. And we can all focus, focus all we want on this double. But this double hinges on Joshua 5 at this place called the Hill of Foreskin. It's about getting back into the right covenant, the right relationship, the right heart, and the right attitude. We cannot finish this thing. We cannot, we, we, we cannot bring this, this plan of God and cultivate it at the end without more than what we got right now. I can't do it with what, just, with what I have. I need more. How many can say they, you need more? So, I'm not saying you all have this big, dark, powerful thing in there. It's just as much as I've had enough. Little things like that that begins to get in my heart. Little things like that. Someone called me the other day and said, do you know that this is going on? At 9.30 at night, called my cell phone. Some things going on in the church. Well, if you're the pastor, most likely you don't know. I said, no, I don't know. You know what that thing tried to do the rest of the night? Put me right to sleep. That thing will rob sleep from you, man. And you know the first thing you're thinking about? It's not this is the day that the Lord hath made. This is the day I'm going to break his neck. Come on. Am I the only one who's ever been that carnal? And you can, you can let that thing spoil your whole day. And if you don't handle it right, that'll become a reproach. And you're needing the anointing of God to get you through it. No. No, every day. Every day I'm going to make a decision. I'm walking out of this reproach area, and I'm heading to where God wants me to be. Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand together. No sense going into the next verses. We won't be able to complete them anyway. 
So I gave you about two or three things into one, just for some highlights. Uh, thank you for inviting me and allowing me to speak. There's so many capable people here. But I sent something that's been in this meeting from the first night that Dr. Bob has spoke. Would you just close your eyes? I don't want you to be distracted a minute. I sent something, and that is there's been a true spirit of consecration. It's just been here. What I'm speaking, it just, it kept adding to a consecrated heart. There's got to be a cutting away. Folks, there's no sense trying to justify hurts. You can't continue to last, allow past failures to produce future fears. You can't continue to do that. You know, maybe this meeting can equip us and help us to say there's nothing more important than the anointing of God and the power of God. I need the helper helping me. I need more than just my need met. I like the psalmist that says, though the young lions do seek and do search and seek, and they still hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. They were still in want until they left Gilgal and they moved into a realm of milk and honey. Father, I pray that every heart receives. Spirit of God, you preside in, in everyone's heart. Jesus, you stand as master. We're not here to try to prove our own point. I ask you to forgive us. Forgive us, cleanse us with the blood that's been so freely shed on our behalf. Father, I don't care if in men's eyes, if I look right or justified, I just want to be justified in your eyes. I'm looking for the impossible to be made possible at Jericho. And I'm looking for the miracles at Jordan. And Father, for me to make it to my destiny and my destination, I need more than what I have right now. Therefore, today I make a decision. I leave Gilgal, a place where the reproach is rolled away. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Amen. Wow. We have heard word all week.